I'm just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic disease. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education and empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. Well, awesome. So Dr. Will Cole, thank you so much for joining me on the Holistic Savage Podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, my friend. How, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. So kind of an intro to the Holistic Savage Podcast. You know, I'm just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic disease. And I truly believe the greatest most of all is teach people how not to need it. And that's where with the podcast, uh, that's the mission, you know, and it's really a privilege being connected to so many influential uh, experts in the industry and we're all in alignment with our missions of we're really trying to do some good in the world and get ahead of this chronic disease epidemic and it's it's the next wave of healthcare and as you know your business line with uh, the next generation of natural healthcare and the future of natural healthcare that's where everything's going so you know I'm I'm really honored to have you on today and talk about everything that you're doing in your world to contribute to what is our our aligned, you know, greater mm -hmm. mission? So, tell us a little bit about what what you're up to right now. I know you just released a book. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I think that your mission is so powerful. It's so much. It's so so much needed. You know, we can look at the world around us and see like there's such a vast need uh, for for people. You know, a vast need for answers. A vast need for people to be listened to, and a vast need for people to to get healthy mm -hmm. um so for sure yeah i mean my day job is is functional medicine right it's mm -hmm. i consult people around the world uh via our virtual clinic and that's my like nine to six p.m uh grind of of love uh, of really giving people a lot of time and thoughtfulness to what they're going through um but somehow and the off hours <laughs> I write books and, and speak about it too so this is my my second book uh, is the inflammation spectrum mm -hmm. my first book was ketotarian which is a mostly plant-based ketogenic book and my follow-up is a deep dive into this concept that I touched upon in the keto in ketotarian this concept of the inflammation spectrum where as a functional medicine practitioner I see this every hour is various degrees or manifestations or just different components of inflammation in people's lives. So it's a deep dive into this concept, kind of a functional medicine perspective on this and tools to overcome it and improve uh, their wellness. So I'm really excited for people to, to check it out. And um, it's been a labor of love for sure because it's, it's hard to encapsulate like all the clinical stuff in a book form, right? There's so many variabilities, but we did a great job with it. And um, it starts with this quiz where people can find out where they're at on the inflammation spectrum. And the quiz is what took me, the, one of the hardest parts of the book was the quiz because it's adapting things that I talk to patients about 
uh, during a consultation, but to make it make sense to the layperson in a book form was the tough part. So we, we mastered it. We got it down and, and I'm excited for people to check out the book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that's really powerful. You know, you and I live a, a very similar life and that's where like the, the podcast or our, our free holistic savage challenge, or, you know, when I'm not with clients, apparently I'm creating a course and what I love about what you're doing with the book, you know, there's kind of the two sides of our world and in our business models where there's, okay, we have to teach the next generation of practitioners, right? You know, we have to be uh, teaching that that next generation because the the practitioners, the clinicians, the doctors, the health coaches, you know, they're the ones on the front lines, you know, they're in the trenches with the clients. And I always like to think of it as like, you know, we are partners in self-healing, you know, no, something I'm really uh, admin on is like, nobody can heal you for you. You have to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of having that, that practitioner, that health coach, that team of professionals, mm-hmm. those support resources uh, mm-hmm. to help guide you along that path so you can achieve self-actualization. And so with that, it's like, okay, well, we have to be doing the lecturing and the courses and all that to teach that next generation of practitioners because you know, I was just looking at some market research and by 2025, 75% of the workforce is going to be the millennial generation mm-hmm. and, and times are changing. And with the functional medicine space, it's kind of this cocktail of all sorts of different backgrounds, conventional medical and naturopathic physicians, chiropractors, health coaches. And so we, we have yet to really define what is that next generation practitioner But meanwhile, then there's the consumer market. And so we have to be able to adapt our teachings and adapt that language and be able to then hand it to, you know, the general consumer at a reasonable price point. And so that's why I have an enormous amount of respect for um, what you're doing with your book. And I can't wait to read it uh, because it is hard to adapt that language in a way that you can directly empower, you know, the patient, the consumer, the general public. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you highlighted what my logically what I was thinking about. I never verbalized it like that. But you're you're right. I think that there are people that maybe are not ready for a functional medicine practitioner or they don't need one and they just want it. and there's so much you can do to take agency on your health on, you know, for yourself as just the person that's listening to this podcast or um, that's reading a book. Uh, that they could start leading into wellness in the way that makes sense. And a heart of functional medicine is we're all different. It's bio-individuality. And that's another variable or variables that I was quite, um, took a lot of effort to to make it make sense in a book um, for people to be able to customize their own health and wellness based off of a quiz result, which Mm -hmm. Again, it's adapted from health history and the questions I ask patients. So to give them specific toolboxes based on those results. So it was definitely um, a lot of fun at the same time. And I think to your point is that mostly how I'm consulting patients are one-on-one, but my mind has been really thinking about it for the past year of how do I continue to make functional medicine more accessible, more affordable, and democratize what we're doing here. Um, and way that we're doing it is we, in, in addition to the one-on-one uh, consults, which we're still doing, but once a month, we're doing these online group classes, which mm-hmm. uh, enables us to 
you know, we can talk to a hundred people uh, at once versus consulting each of those a hundred people uh, separately. So that I'm really excited about that. Cause I think this is like all of these ideas that you and I are thinking about and other great people are thinking about too, is how to expand the reach to help more people because it's a so much needed and B it is something that, we all have a heart to help people. Mm-hmm. And when you see these certain impasses of, you know, they can't afford the cost of the labs or whatever the cost may be, whatever the problem may be, how can we find ways to cut costs to make it more accessible and affordable to more people around the world? So uh, I love the ideas that are coming out of, uh, out of this space mm-hmm. because we're really trying to democratize this amazing field of healthcare. Absolutely. You know, and it is a lot of fun. It, it very much is kind of this strong entrepreneurial space as well. Uh, and, you know, I really see it as uh, a lot of different thought leaders of how can we make this more stream, more mainstream? How can we reach more people? And like, even in my course, that's something like I've taken a ton of courses, but nobody's ever taught me how to be a good consumer as a practitioner of like, we are making the decision of like how we spend our clients money, you know, on what Mm -hmm. lab tests and what supplements. So in a way we put our professional reputation on the line that's dependent on this third party business that, you know, Mm -hmm. we have nothing to do with. And so there needs to be that intelligence and uh, the biggest barrier, you know, it, it kind of feels right now like functional medicine is a bit of a luxury service. A lot of it's out of pocket. Um, and, you know, people are paying immense amounts. And, and then, of course, too, a lot of these practitioners like, well, they didn't get into functional medicine, um, you know, to build a business and do business stuff. They, they did it because they're empaths that love serving others. And, you know, but that's where people like us, we have to kind of, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll personally, I'll never give up one-on-one consulting with our virtual practice because it's just there's nothing more amazing than having that direct impact on that person, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting across from you. But nonetheless, if all we're ever doing is just kind of servicing that next person in line, well, Hey, you know, millions upon millions of people need us. So how can we, you know, scale it and systematize and again, Mm -hmm. make this information because ultimately what it is, is we have to educate and empower people. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're doing. So yeah with this book, can't wait to read it. Give us a little uh, synopsis on, you know, kind yeah. of how you break it down and how this, how this book progresses. Yeah. So uh, the, the book starts off with educating people on the inflammation spectrum and how the way that I, I, I understand, I mean, it's a concept that I made up, but basically it, the way that I see it in my clinic are seven main sections on the inflammation spectrum. Um, and it's, you know, gut, brain, hormones, blood sugar, detoxification, musculoskeletal. Um, and then we talk about the eighth section is polyinflammation, the interconnectedness of the, the, um, uh, different spokes on that spectrum. Uh, so I wanted to, uh, inform people the, the far reaching implications of chronic inflammation and how people may think of inflammation, the lay person may think, okay, well, if I have tight muscles or joints, if I have like soreness, that's inflammation. Well, that's true, but it's so much more than that. I mean, you talk about hormonal receptor sites and the blunting of the receptor sites and the vast, you know, rise of different hormonal problems and hormonal resistance problems, insulin resistance being one of them, but other resistance patterns. Um, 
to brain issues when you talk about anxiety and depression and brain fog and the research around inflammation and the cytokine model of cognitive function and basically how inflammation impacts our brain function. And people like to separate mental health from physical health, but mental health is physical health. Mm -hmm. So really kind of informing people on that level uh, and so on and so forth. These things that to the average person that's, that's maybe going through these issues, they're not realizing inflammation's implication into why they feel the way that they do or why they're going through this certain health issue. And it's not static. It's a continuum. It's from mild symptoms like mild background anxiety, mild fatigue, mild digestive issues, and so on and so forth to all the way on the other end of that inflammation spectrum where it's full-blown panic attacks or autoimmune conditions or diabetes or over any other ICD-10 code you can think of, and then everything in between on that inflammation spectrum. So that's important for people to realize because we have to know what we're up against to do something about it. And many times people settle for just feeling lousy because they think it's normal. You know, they think, well, I'm just getting older or this, they look at everybody around them and they see themselves as feeling pretty much the same as everybody else. And they equate ubiquity with normalcy. Mm-hmm. And that's um, not a good thing when you look at the rise of chronic health problems and medication lists. Mm-hmm. It's just because something's common doesn't make it normal. And we have to even pe- raise the people's awareness to the fact that, oh, wait, like this is not normal. And these are, from a functional medicine perspective, check engine lights. And we have to look underneath the hood, proverbially speaking, and finding out what's misfiring, what's dysfunctional, that's driving that symptom, uh, whatever that may be. So it starts, the book starts off with that conversation of raising people's awareness to their wellness, for them to check in with themselves, to do a little you know, system analysis, so to speak, mm-hmm. to see where they're at on the inflammation spectrum. And then from there, they have a specific toolbox based on their quiz results and a specific plan uh, that are, uh, it's all adapted on things that I've seen over my years of seeing patients. And yeah, so that's what the book is. But if we talk about the food, we start with food and we have this, this conversation of finding out what your body loves and hates. And we're all different, which is another part of functional medicine. Is, uh, is I mentioned bioindividuality. It applies to so many things, food mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, so it's, it's really using food as medicine, but tailored to the individual. And then secondly, it is not just about food. So having conversations beyond other uh, about other things that can drive inflammation cascades up. So looking at stress and toxins and mm-hmm. other things that can impact inflammatory pathways because, and I know that you know this, but people can be eating like the best, like super food, like healthy meal, but be serving their body a big slice of stress every day or exposing themselves with toxins or whatever the case may be, have an unhealthy relationship with technology that could be impacting their stress or their circadian rhythms and poor sleep. So all this stuff, these, all of these epigenetic factors, not just food, are constantly and dynamically instructing inflammatory pathways, mm-hmm. which is linked again to all of these health issues that we struggle with as a society. Yeah. Man, I love that. I, I'm really digging you know, the spectrum that you're mapping out here. And I love what you said of confusing ubiquity with normalcy. That was an amazing line. And I, I love some good verbiage. That was good. Um, and you're so right. You know, in today's world, like our world has never been more toxic. It's never been more stressful and stimulating and sympathetic driving. And so we really are looking at this epidemic where 
you know, the, the more kind of classic healthcare model and those that are still kind of stuck in uh, the older paradigm that's kind of dying right now mm -hmm. um, is ultimately like this idea of like, you know, a, acute disease. And it's like, well, no, what we're looking at now is the end product, all these people that are sick with the end stage autoimmunity and, you know, X, Y, Z, you fill in the, the name of the diagnosis. Um, you know, that's the end stage of, of the chronic inflammation. And I don't, I would probably believe or argue, like, I don't think our species has ever had so many inflammatory triggers that we've pre been presented with. And so why, like with this course, which has kind of been the big project of my year that I'm getting ready to launch, you know, mold microbes, methylation, and you know, that's nerdy for the, the clinicians and practitioners, but really it's like, okay, well, I have the, the starting module of like, well, what drives disease? you know, oxidative stress and inflammation. Okay, well, what drives oxidative stress and inflammation? It's like, well, let's start with the environment. You know, mm -hmm. let's start with some psycho-emotional belief. You know, your, your body goes where your psychology goes. Um, then let's look at the lifestyle, you know, and everything mm -hmm. that encompasses the movement, the nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, because, you know, one thing that I'm really hearing from you, not directly is, you know, like I observe in the functional medicine industry, it still sometimes gets a little too like, okay, run labs and throw supplements at the lab test. And as you know, you are preaching right now, that's not what it is. And so I love how you're creating a quiz that really is this, you know, subjective data that provides a good reflection of, oh, crap, you know, here's kind of my at risk score. And then mm -hmm. here's the different aspects of my uh, overall lifestyle and environment that I need to start working on, because you have to lay that foundation and then work your way up to the top where then you can do that spot cleaning with the supplements or medications or whatever mm -hmm. it is. But if we don't have that solid foundation, you know, then we're just trying to bail water out of sinking ship. Yeah, totally. And but most people aren't even fully aware. They're so, uh, you know, detached from their body and even understanding like what that is. They know roughly, here's my energy, here's my digestion, but they don't like we take for granted, I think, oftentimes being in the health space that the average person doesn't really think about all these things and doesn't really take inventory of their health mm -hmm. or lack of it. Um, so it's, it's a good place to start with, I think, of just raising awareness on what, what it's nor actually normal, not just common, and like how can you actually optimize your health? Because that's the cool thing about it's like the, this, while we see the ri rise of chronic health problems, the other side of it is we understand more than ever because of the trickle down effect of research and practical application and just clinical experience, like how to improve people's wellness. And most of these things, they're not immutable. They are things that you can overcome and improve and manage and reverse and heal from. Mm -hmm. So while it is sobering to look at the statistics of like the rise of chronic health problems, the other side of that coin is that there's so much that we can do to take action on your health to, to start feeling better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and with that, you know, it's, it's one of those where the, the lifestyle is kind of going to be the lifestyle and environment is really that foundation. And so I like how with your, your teaching here, you know, it's not about, um, oh, like you just need to do this functional medicine protocol, you know, for three months and then all mm -hmm. of your, you know, autoimmunity or whatever that took years you know, to progress is going to go away. And, and yeah. that's kind of one of the big things is, 
you know, all functional medicine practitioners, they really need to be setting the expectation up front is I think functional medicine is an easy thing to sell. It's, it's a very easy of like, oh, we're going to get to the root cause by running some testing. And we just kind of, bloop, we throw a dart at the root cause and then all of your problems go away. Yeah. And it's like, but any, any real practitioner knows that's not it at all. It's, it's not a protocol. It's a lifestyle. We mm -hmm. have to change the lifestyle and the environment. The protocol is just to kind of expedite some, some key targeted therapeutic mm -hmm. interventions. Yeah. And that's what you're setting them up for with your book. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a transition between protocol and lifestyle yeah. and that transition has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you are going to probably just add to your pile of things you've tried and maybe worked for a time and then it, then what? So that segue between protocol and lifestyle has to happen. And it's cool to see that happen. To, to see that click in someone's mind. It's not just, oh, because this doctor is telling me to do it. It's them owning it for themselves as seeing like, I have agency over my biochemistry. Yeah. And that uh, shift is really cool. Because then at that point, it's on autopilot. They feel better, which encourages them to keep going. And uh, they have a rhythm and an intuition that they know what works for their body and what doesn't. So that's actually the, the last couple chapters of the inflammation spectrum talks about that very same thing that you brought up. It's this, this transition of owning your life and really realizing what works for your body, what doesn't. Because at that point, it's not punitive. It's not dogmatic. It's not over, you know, generalized, broad sweeping, good advice. It is just like you as you, you, the, the manager of your body, Mm -hmm. what you deciding for yourself what's worth it and what's not you deciding for yourself how you're going to live your life but people even have to be get to the point where they have clarity and discernment to even know what works for the body and what doesn't but once they get that then at that point they can make the decision what they want to but they have to start feeling better they have to get the information to for them to have that that, that, that decision to make. Mm -hmm. So it's really important because at that point we are in many ways as functional medicine practitioners obsolete, but that shows we've done the job, our job. We're obsolete for that person because we got them healthier. Right. And maybe they come in twice a year or something like that to get labs tested or to have some accountability and structure because some people like that. But oftentimes we do our job. It's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm that patients get to the place of independence and freedom to, to, to know what works for their body and just need little checkups here and there. Exactly. Well, and that's where you're doing exactly this. It's, it's yeah, raise right. medicine balls, teach people how not to need it. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of the same thing is, is we've got to be, you know, uh, it's almost like we have to, to build the tribe of self healers. You know, that's, that's kind of its own movement of self healing these days. And, and it has to be, cause that's the only way forward that I can, really see based on you know yeah. the the current landscape that is our yeah. crazy existential reality so you know with inflammation it's it's so potent to understand that as the key concept because that is kind of the ultimate driver of all the bad juju that is uh, the chronic disease epidemic and the mental health epidemic i mean we could easily very quickly spin off into a convo on gut brain connection for three hours but it's like well yeah i mean i i look at it as like okay this mental health epidemic chronic disease epidemic and i being a, a spiritual dude myself like i would also throw like a spiritual crisis in there but mm -hmm. ultimately like that's 
that's what we're dealing with. And a lot of it is inflammatory driven. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize like we hear inflammation get, you know, that word gets thrown around a lot, but mm -hmm. most people really don't have a clue what that means or how, oh, you know, um, when I eat this food that is a healthy food, it might be a massive trigger or, oh, well, I've got all these gut bugs. I don't know anything about gut bugs, but they're kicking off LPS causing endotoxemia that's driving my heart disease or mm -hmm. there's just or, or even just like negative thought processes and how we see you know um you know things like meditation can lower your inflammatory score i'm doing some cool work with a uh, a laboratory right now that specializes in like a urinary inflam uh, inflammation score and so it's kind of fun doing like mini research yeah. to show if like you know meditation has an aspirin like effect or curcumin has an aspirin-like effect or cleaning up the toxicity of your products has an aspirin-like effect. And ultimately it's just an anti-inflammatory effect. Mm -hmm. And if we can keep that inflammation in check and know it's in check and keep it in check with our lifestyle and our environmental decisions that we make all day, every day, that is going to be the true path to healing. Yeah. So, so true. I mean, all of these epigenetic things that we, it's, it's amazing. Like I get excited like talking to patients every hour is like a new excitement for me. It's like informing people on that information because it's, you see that light bulb come on, uh, so to speak, where people are like, wow, I didn't realize that I could, meditation did that for me. I didn't realize that the foods that ate could do that for me. It's really cool. So I, I, um, I uh, don't ever take that for granted. And it, it's hard. I don't know how you could take it for granted fully. Because when you're talking to somebody that's going through a real health problem, or you see on social media, someone read a book that you wrote, and just the impact that could have on somebody's life. Mm -hmm. It's like, every time you see that it's that you remembrance of the gravity of which you the word that you speak. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Man, this is fun. So um, with inflammation. So for those that listen to this podcast, I'd love to hear you know, what, uh, in, in the mind of Dr. Dr. Will, what are some of the top drivers of inflammation, would you say, if we're getting specific? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to start with food and, and that's too general. So I'll give you specifics, but the foods that we eat are a major player. And I think it, it's important to start there, but the conversation that we're having in the inflammation spectrum is it's not just about food too, mm -hmm. but starting with food, my I really wanted to keep an open mind and keep my bias out of it as much as I could on like what works for me may not be right for the, for the reader or what works for a lot of my patients may not be right for the reader. Uh, so we look at the foods that are most likely to cause problems, but without making a full indictment of them. Cause I want the person to actually bring it back in. So using a tailored functional medicine and like elimination diet approach for them to test for themselves like really see how how does this impact your energy or your digestion or uh, whatever thing you're trying to improve upon? Does this food make a difference? And if it does, how much of a difference does it make? And then when you have it, is it worth it for you to have it? Because we both know there are certain things that people can eat in small amounts occasionally, and it's going to be worth it for them. They enjoy eating it, 
and they know if they have too much, it'll be problematic, but they can get away with it every once in a while. And that's a personal decision that, again, I want people to make and I want people to take responsibility for their life mm-hmm. instead of it being just a diet or a plan or a protocol for them to do, but to really just uh, have that information for themselves about their body. Uh, so the things we talk about are going to be grains. Mm-hmm. And we have a conversation about hybridization of the grains and the genetic modification of certain grains and the glyphosate spraying on certain grains. It's not just about demonizing grains, but also having a conversation about what we've done to the grain supply and maybe why this could be. Mm-hmm. And then we look at dairy, same thing, the crossbreeding of cows and the, the casein beta A1 versus beta A2 and like the, the history of that and what's the better types of dairy if you're going to have it. And then we talk about um, sugar and all its, you know, <laughs> its different euphemisms for sugar, even like the nice sounding healthier ones like mm-hmm. that make it seem less sugary. Um, and uh, oils that are high in omega-6, mm-hmm. uh, like polyunsaturated fats, like the canola oil, the industrial seed oil. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be what I call in the book core four, the core okay. four. Um, and the... We have four more above that for more of the advanced track, like people that scored higher on the inflammation spectrum quiz. They want to go beyond that. And that, there we talk about nightshades, mm-hmm. legumes, nuts and seeds, and eggs as well. And we talk about the different forms of each one of these, how to prepare them if, to make them less inflammatory. But out of those eight, and I call those eliminate eight, but instead of the, the ATE, it's the number eight. If you need a play on words, guys, I'm your guy. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh man, that's a good way of putting that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, we know that out of those eight foods or the four foods, however you look at it, the, that some people tolerate each one of those and some people don't. And then some people tolerate certain kinds of these, but not all people don't. Mm-hmm. So there's no hard and fast rule to say that they're all bad. Right. So like people like Dr. Gundry, who's brilliant, who's a colleague and friend of mine, he wrote a book about lectins and plant mm-hmm. paradox and it's good stuff. Like I, I, I love him, but we both know there's some people that tolerate le- higher lectin foods just fine. You mm-hmm. can't measure it on a lab. They feel fantastic. There's no quantifiable subjective or objective data for it to say that that's bad. But I know some people that it is problematic for them. Mm-hmm. So I, it's this truth is somewhere in the middle. The truth mm-hmm. is bioindividuality. The truth is what's right for your body. Right. Because I know that there are certain people with gut issues or different cannabinoid gene snips or methylation gene snips that we know they have a higher chance of having these food reactivities. So that's the conversation that I have in the book is finding out what works for you and what doesn't. And talking about each one of these foods and how it may be problematic, may not be. And it's for you finding out for yourself and teaching them how to do so mm-hmm. for them to discover it for themselves. That's amazing. The way that you break it down and um, kind of systematize that to, to teach them how to do that because you're so mm-hmm. right. And that's where, you know, it's like with, um, I, I'm the director of a, a big group of practitioners, which is a lot of fun because I'm, I'm literally watching and observing and sort of monitoring how hundreds of these practitioners are working with clients. And so I see the the common patterns of the shortcomings. And I mean, I love lab testing, don't get me wrong, but it, all lab testing is a very imperfect snapshot of a moment in time. And it just, you know, there is with regards to what we're talking about right now with food, 
there is no food sensitivity test. That's just going to be the perfect, you know, long-term roadmap for your long-term diet. It's going to take, um, you know, honestly, like I feel like I've got my diet nutrition and kind of, uh, awareness of biofeedback and listening to my body. You know, I've been living in this body for 27 years. I've gotten pretty good at listening to it and I've gotten it dialed in, but that's exactly it is we have to teach these people that intuition of, Oh, well, first I have to become self-aware of what I'm feeling and understanding how what I'm doing and the food I'm choosing to eat is evoking this response because you've got, there's like these different layers, the, the general public and consumers, okay, well, should I do keto? Should I do whole 30? Should I do paleo? Should I do, you know, all the, the diet bandwagon? Okay. Uh, the, the next level, which are more like the customers of functional medicine, well, should I be doing low FODMAP, low histamine, low oxalate, salicylate, lectins, you know, following my food sensitivity test? And it's like, well, yeah, but it's still not even that either, you know? Mm -hmm. So ultimately it's like, we have to, it'd be a lot easier if we could just plug our brains into them, (laughs) Um, but it doesn't quite work that way. So something I'm curious to ask you about, because in a world where, you know, having started my career as a trainer and nutritionist, you know, that's how I started out when I was 19. And so with that health and fitness background, something I feel strongly about is there's not, there's not nearly enough talk about fitness in functional medicine, but at the same time, then you have the rest of the world that is chronically inflamed and chronically unwell. And they think I need to lose weight to get healthy rather than I need to get healthy and losing weight will be a side effect of that. And so you've got these chronically inflamed people walking into gyms, stirring up more inflammation by doing a rigorous workout program. But then on the other side, it's like, well, in the functional medicine industry, again, like I alluded to before, there's a lot of, uh, there's still, there still can be a lot of allopathic reductionism to, to a degree. Um, Mm -hmm. that's why I have so much respect for what you're doing is you're, you know, you you know, what's up. And so, um, I'm curious your thoughts on like exercise and like, well, exercise or activity or movement in general can be a very powerful influencer of either driving further inflammation or, um, strengthening our, our resilience to inflammation as well. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I think that it's important to whether you're the person that's going through this or you're the practitioner or you know any anybody that's the kind of having a part of this conversation is to keep an open mind of what's driving uh, this person's uh, issues and you something that I, I say all the time because it's true it's the, I, I, if I hung my hat on like one way of doing things all day long I'd be proven wrong all day long you can't totally. see clients you can't see patients and reduce it to this simple, you know, medicinal matching game, whether that's pharmaceuticals or like you said, like this green medicine medicinal matching game where it's mm-hmm. like, if they have this, take this supplement. Mm-hmm. It may be, I mean, obviously I think that generally speaking, these supplements are more effective causing way, you know, not causing the side effects that the pharmaceuticals are potentially causing, but it's still not the answer. It's still it's so much more than that. And rare, rarely, if ever, I can't even think about it. Can't even think of a, an example where this were the case where the, it was this one thing and this magic bullet supplement came and solved all our problems. It may be a piece of the puzzle, 
But normally it's a confluence of lots of different factors, a lot of different variables to consider that you have to deal with all the pieces of the puzzle to really see the sustainable big time change that this person's looking for and that as a practitioner you want to see as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. It's multifaceted. It's multi-pronged. Um, but that's where a good, I think, diagnostician comes in to play. That's when a good, it's the dichotomy of functional medicine. It's the science yeah. and the art. You have to get the science down, but you have to get the art down too. Yeah. And the art's in the space in between the words. The art is the space of just being empathic and being present with this person. Because at that point, you can get the right information and use your um, knowledge and wisdom and the science stuff appropriately for that person. Because mm -hmm. it's not even just about the, the data and the science and the labs and all that stuff. It is also just like, realizing what what that person's even ready for mm -hmm. <laughs> on like a deeper totally. spiritual level yeah emotional level because a lot of these people are trauma a lot of these people are traumatized very much so. from what they've gone through and things that they've been told or whatever things from their past that you need to even have the vessel to give them the information and if they don't have the vessel to receive it it's gonna it's not gonna be sustainably changing that person's life. So this is the stuff that <laughs> that I, I think about way too often probably, but it's really, I think, important for doctors, practitioners, coaches to start being more mindful of the both sides of that coin. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. And you know, that's exactly why the the pillars of my my brand, you know, functional medicine, functional fitness, functional psychology, functional spirituality is, you know, we need all the above and in to me, that is going to be, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I've got a lot of career left in me. I'm young, so I'm, I'm just getting warmed up and I don't know what exactly I'm going to do, but it is like we've got to create that next level uh, professional, that hybrid. Like I'd love to get more, you know, fitness, nutrition, kind of health coach people into the space, pull them in because some of those people are, they're young, they're hungry, they're very wicked intelligent. Um, and with the right training, you know, they could they could really work magic because we, you know, we've got to have the professional that can do all of that and practice that art that is the space between, mm -hmm. as you said, because um, like I was talking to Jill Carnahan the other day about mold and all that, which was fun. And that came up in the conversation where it's like uh, a lot of these patients and clients, they're, they're horribly traumatized, you know, and the that conversation we were talking about okay so you know mold in the home what do you do and it's this traumatic experience of remediation get rid of all your belongings because it's spore contaminating blah 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 but then you know what are the the traumatic effects of that like that induces this fear response and the amygdala that drives sympathetic activity that ultimately is going to you know contribute to and dysregulate our cytokine signaling mm -hmm. you know and so then it's like well, if we have this kind of fear and stressful driven path, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to walk towards healing, but then we choose to take a path that is fear and trauma inducing, which would be literally and metaphorically inflammation promoting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's kind of ass backwards. It is. And it's, it's, uh, it's tough having these even these conversations about things like mold or things like gut problems or food reactivity, all that stuff's like we need to educate people, but we need to at the same time in equal measure, if not more, layer it in context and layer it in 
grace and layer it in a way that doesn't create more problems right. of stress and anxiety. And I think that when we talk about the rise of orthorexia that's going on, I think in part due to the amount of information that people have at their fingertips. Yeah. It's a lack of context to a layperson that doesn't have the vessel to receive the information. Mm-hmm. And we we have content on content and content and all this great information, but it's just too much, too soon for somebody to receive it in a way that they're actually going to benefit their life. Mm-hmm. And they feel just overwhelmed and just disillusioned as to what the heck they should even be doing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important. And that's maybe when a good coach comes in or a good doctor comes in and starts to disseminate this information and organize this information in a way that's even practical for the person. Um, and, uh, so it's definitely interwoven throughout the whole book, the inflammation spectrum, because I'm quite aware uh, that this can be overwhelming to some people of like, what the heck I need to live in a bubble and I can't eat anything but air and ice cubes. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. That's not the message at all. That's actually right. quite the opposite, but it is, um, definitely important because you need to heal your relationship with yourself you need to heal the relationship with your body and your mm-hmm. heal your relationship with food because a lot of times people when you look at the rise of autoimmunity largely impacting women sadly mm-hmm. I mean, what's the mechanism we know it is but it's when the immune system is actually cross-reacting against the, its own itself the body mm-hmm. and it is i you talk about spiritual i think that there's spiritual mental emotional components to this physical manifestation what came first the chicken or the egg here is probably up to the individual uh, on an individual basis, but many people feel uh, that their body has betrayed them, mm-hmm. and their their body has turned against themselves, and in many ways it has. Mm-hmm. And that food is their enemy, yeah, because they feel horrible eating certain foods, and they just creates this orthorexia. So I, um, it's definitely something that it's at the heart of my practice, the heart of having conversations with people to start to heal that relationship. Because I feel like that, while we have to heal someone physically, it's also that mending that 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 relationship they have with mm. themselves is important too. I'm really glad you brought that up because really my whole career, uh, I've I've always kind of described like um, nutrition as a great example of like well you know, it's a, it's a relationship, you know, you, you just like everything in life. It's, it's, what's your relationship with food? What's your relationship with your exercise, your lifestyle, yourself. And I think the, the path to self-healing is ultimately a path of healing relationships, you know, and it starts with the self, you know, we have to look inwards and uncover our most authentic truths and heal the relationship with ourselves. Because like with autoimmunity, you're exactly right. In a way, it, it is kind of a betrayal. Um, but, you know, I almost look at it metaphorically as like, okay, well, because we were born into a world that taught us a certain lifestyle that is very disease promoting, and we were born into an environment that is very disease promoting, which is, eh, at the end of the day, the fault of our own species. Oh, that sucks. So then we kind of unknowingly have been you know, the thing is, I think our bodies feel betrayed by us since birth, you know, and it's just, we never knew it because like, we're just born into this world of blank slate. We don't know what we were born into. And all the while we've been betraying our bodies, but then it betrays us in in return. It rebels. And, you know, to me, like on a metaphorical level, um, that's what autoimmunity really is. And so it's like people 
kind of get this victim mentality. It's easy to do of like, well, my body's betraying me. And now I'm mad. Uh, I'm mad at my body for betraying me. And I'm, uh, I'm afraid of my food and I'm afraid to make every move. And it's like, you know, what's the story that we're telling here? You know, mm -hmm. we need to reframe that story. And that's where, you know, hashtag functional psychology, it's like, let's positively reframe this. And like anything that elicits and evokes any kind of either emotional, spiritual, or physiological negative response, mm -hmm. that's a learning opportunity. But we yeah. have to tap into the higher conscious to be able mm -hmm. to look at it as a learning opportunity rather than the egocentric well, I'm just mad and okay, well, that's just steering you further down the inflammation spectrum. Totally. Yeah. And something that we see say a lot here, it's almost a mantra in our clinic is you can't heal a body you hate. You can't shame your way or punish your body into wellness. It's just mm -hmm. not going to happen. You'll see blips of, of success, but ultimately you see the people that are riddled with this you know, negative energy, this sort of triggered pain body that they have in their life, that it is an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. And when you're going through real health problems, it's really hard yeah. um, to find stillness and clarity amidst the noise of going through real health issues. Totally. But it's, 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 it, it is a realization that people have to find for themselves. And it, it can be a catalyst, a major catalyst for healing in people's lives for many people. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, I, I love, I love what you said there of kind of your, your mantra in the clinic, mm -hmm. um, because you're so right. And I was talking to one of my friends, um, Dr. Adam Miller, who cool guy, I don't know, he's, he's kind of more like off the grid, but he's an amazing human that I'd love to yeah. um, get connected more. But he, uh, one of his things that he said, I really liked was, you know, thoughts become proteins, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that because it's the perfect marriage of kind of the spiritual with the uh, yeah. physiological. Yeah, thoughts become proteins. You know yeah. what we choose, and and that's where like um, uh, again with kind of the functional psychology incorporated into functional medicine uh, of you know we have power. That's that's kind of the divine power of humans is the power of choice. You know, and we can choose our thought patterns. And so that's where with the emerging evidence and research with um, understanding the brain and neuroplasticity, we're starting to really see, well, it's really no different than like, oh, if I want big biceps, I need to, I need to give a stimuli that then my body will adapt to of like, oh, we need bigger, stronger biceps to keep up with the environmental demand and keep up with that stimuli. Mm -hmm. It's what we're starting to see is like, well, it's really no different with how we program and wire our brain through neuroplasticity. So that's where, you know, we're kind of in this, this crisis of, I think everybody's sort of drowning in, in their own ego. And there's so many uh, ego seductive aspects of our society and culture these days. And so that's where, you know, we kind of need this, this awakening of like, okay, you know, awakening of self and wow, I've just been you know, staring through fog and smoke, and I can't even see myself clearly. And if you can't see yourself clearly, mm -hmm. how are you ever going to be able to see the path to healing? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I, I see that a lot. The way that I, I saw when I was writing the book was to create, like calm that inflammatory storm. And it's hard, like you said, like the, seeing through the fog, I think that's a great analogy of it's hard to really see the center of yourself when there's a storm going on. Mm -hmm. A storm of inflammation. And when you start to calm that even just a little bit, it doesn't even need to be entirely resolved. 
for you to start getting clarity as to what's up and what's down. Because I'm a major advocate of intuitive eating, but it's hard to know what intuition is when your hormones are all out of whack and your inflammation levels up. Is it intuition or is it hangriness? (laughs) Yeah. Is it intuition or is it hormonal imbalance? Uh, You have to create some semblance of normalcy as far as physiological functions to have intuition to know what's right for your body so um that's the goal is to get to the place of intuitive eating but i don't think the people coming in feeling the way the way that most people are feeling are even at the place to even be fully in tune with their intuition yeah no i think i think you're so right which like that in in a nutshell is really what got me more and more into this space was um, like me growing up, I, I was just a little workhorse, you know, and I could psychoanalyze why that is, but it was just one of these, like, I will outwork everyone. And, you know, ultimately though, it's like you, you get to that point of like, Oh, work smarter, not harder. And so as you're saying, um, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we, we want to eventually graduate to the point of enlightenment and being able to intuitively eat and intuitively live and, you know, use our intuition to guide that. But yeah, when you're lost in the fog, you know, mm-hmm. of your own ego, of your chronic inflammation, of all the, the disease and metabolic dysfunction, you have no sense of intuition. That compass is just spinning and spinning and spinning. Yeah. And so that's exactly what I love about what you're doing is you are creating a definitive roadmap you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, let's get this under control so that we do get your systems back online. And then that compass can actually like, okay, that's the direction we need to go. Yeah. That's kind of how I have observed it over time is it is like, you first have to stop the spinning. And then you've got to distinguish, okay, that way is forward, that way is backwards. So I'm going to go in that direction. And it's this very wide path. But then over time, over time with continuous practice, you start, you know, narrowing that path until eventually you're walking a pretty definitive, fine path. And, you know, you, you, those are the people that, okay, they've done a lot of self-healing, you know, either on their own or with a practitioner. And they're the ones that like, Hey, um, Dr. Will, you know, I reintroduced that one food or I made this change to my sleep routine. And within a week I noticed, uh, da, da, da. and they feel as soon as they take one step off of that path. Mm, yeah, it's so good. And that's a realization. <laughs> that's that transition of pro- from protocol to lifestyle. Yeah. Protocol to just second nature intuitive eating. Uh, and it's it's a, a no-brainer at that point. Because at that point, the person feels good or great, depending on the person. And they would rather feel that freaking awesome than they miss that food. And they tried it out and they know, hey, this is not worth it for me or it is worth it. Uh, and they can make that decision for themselves. So that's, that's a cool place to be at because that's the rhythm of awareness. That's the rhythm of of knowing their biochemistry in a way that most people are completely out of touch with. And it's hard. It's understandable why they're out of touch because there's so much going on, so much noise, both on a biochemistry level and external level as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have to cut through the noise, kind of dampen down. Mm-hmm. Uh and you're right, you know, something I was talking to my business partner about the other day, and you mentioned it earlier, and I meant to follow up on it was, you know, the paralysis by analysis because of information overload. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more I've thought about, and I don't want to go into too long of a tangent, but it's just ultimately comes down to, you know, none of us have any 
uh, training to be prepared for the overwhelming amount of external stimuli that we get when we're born into this world. And something that I think is, I mean, we, we could talk all day about, oh, the environment's more toxic than ever. Our lifestyle is more disease promoting than ever. That's very well documented. But something that we're all kind of catching on to, but we have yet to really do anything to change the trajectory of is what are these things doing to us? Like throughout the history, the existence of our species, we have never had such a powerful stimuli as this because we have access to every piece of information our species has ever produced 24 7, 365 with this. Mm-hmm. How on earth are we supposed to navigate reality with this thing that's pulling mm-hmm. our attention in infinite directions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, and this is very much a generational. When I was 15, I got my first cell phone. It was T9 texting, one, two, three, H, one, two, three, E. And eventually I type out, hello, whereas <laughs> now like, like all this shit. So it's nuts. Yeah. I know, right? We're, we are uh, one big, big social experiment yeah. and health experiment on the long-term ramifications of this in a very short period of time. We're talking about just a couple of years at this point. Uh, it's widely changed how we to society and the way that we live. And we see all the benefits. I mean, people are connecting to us right now because of this amazing technology, but it is a double-edged sword. We need to find a healthier way to talk about healthier relationships. Like it's the way we're relating to other people and the way that we're relating with our body with this technology of smartphones and all the technology. There's no way around it. I see it now, but we don't even understand the full breadth of what this is going to be doing to us on so many levels from a relationship standpoint, like with other people and with our health and the impact that's happening on our brains and the impact that's having with um, our stress levels. And you look at this concept that's, you know, like when we say FOMO, we say, well, it's, it's just this funny thing, this fear of missing out, but really like, what is it doing to stress and anxiety? Look, the levels of depression and suicide mm-hmm. teens and social media. I mean, this is, impacting our biochemistry uh, in a major way. So we need to really, I agree, like I don't have all the answers, but it's something that we talk, I talk through the, throughout the inflammation spectrum because it's something that is impacting our physiology. It's something that I'm seeing now and we need to start finding ways. Like we talk about social media, like cleanses or detoxes, like taking time off of it or putting it in a basket whenever you are, are home or putting it on airplane modes, you don't get notifications. Like these are some things that people can start doing. But I think we need to even go beyond that at some, in some, some ways for some people um, to really uh, have find the balance. Because I think we all can handle a different threshold for these, these certain stimuli, but some people can't handle it uh, even that much. They can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the bioindividuality again, and you know something uh, I, I've been reflecting a lot about is you know with the the mental health and the you know suicide rates being on all time high or antidepressants being thrown out like Halloween candy and all of this, um, you know loneliness is kind of at an all time high, and we see in the scientific literature like loneliness very much drives mortality. I mean, it, it is a huge contributor um, to death and disease. You know, the, the sensation of being lonely and being in that dark place. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas achieving self-actualization through the cultivation of purpose, you know, purpose is something we need biologically. Cause as you were talking there, it made me think of like that book, the, the blue zones and kind of the blue zone theory of like, all right, these places in the world where there's more centurions than anywhere else and people are living over a hundred, what is it that they're doing with their life that allows them to uh, thrive, you know, and there's those pillars. Um, but, you know, part of it is it's being connected to society. It's being connected mm-hmm. to our, our tribe. We are a social tribal uh, species and we have to find our uh, our purpose, which the more and more I look into it, it's like we're all just a bunch of bacteria, I feel like. We're, we're about to release our podcast with Quran and, you know, talking about microbiome and stuff. And it really is. It's like, are humans that different than bacteria? Because we kind of get this purpose, which, you know, we look at as this flowery sense of fulfillment. But I think in a way, it's almost kind of like a human fallacy and really it's biological purpose. Like we are here to serve the greater good of our species, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's like biological congruence when we align our innermost truths with our outward actions that drive us towards a higher purpose that is beyond the self, you know? So I don't know. It's just interesting though. And so my point being to see how all of this impacts the product of uh, inflammation that drives disease. So as you're saying, we have to zoom out more and more, you know, to really kind of fix this crisis. Yeah, totally. I think that we have to definitely look at the way that we're living life. And I think the the level of, of mismatch, the level of the disparity between how we're living and are we in alignment with the planet? Are we in alignment with our biochemistry and genetics, which is is you know ninety nine percent of our genetics haven't changed in ten thousand years, but yet look at how we're living life, and then we wonder why these genetic predispositions are being triggered and awoken like never before, but yet those genetic predispositions have been there for, for a long time. Uh, so it is, is something that we need to look at on all fronts, from a food supply standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from a stress and sleep standpoint. We need to get in, in alignment with the rhythms of our biochemistry and the planet. And I see so many similarities between it on, on even talked about like you know, bacteria and us. And, and I, I totally see that it's like these microcosms and macrocosms and all fronts. And like, we see ourselves separate of the earth, but we're really not. We are just right. part of it. And the bacteria is a microcosm of that is that what we see from a climate change standpoint, planetary standpoint, and what the, on an individual, the, the climate change that's going on in the human body with the state of inflammation it's really the same thing. Uh, we need to just start realizing that that connectiveness to the to the to the planet and to the you know everything in our life. And I think it's that ego, as you said, or that separation from from each other and the planet that really is um, going to be our demise if we don't do something different. Mm, you said that so perfectly, you know, and it really is because if we apply that inflammation spectrum to the whole planet. I mean, it, it's all the same quote unquote root cause uh, mm-hmm. or, or the way that we're, and I, I hate saying it and I think people probably think I'm an asshole for it, but it's just like, 
our, our species is parasitic to the planet. I mean, if you look at it from a cold, objective, biological perspective, we are a parasitic species on this planet, but it's we are choosing to remain that, you know, and so obviously mm -hmm. there is a movement growing more and more. And but yeah, we the trajectory is awful. I, I genuinely worry about like the the world that my grandchildren or great grandchildren might be born into with the current trajectory of what's happening with the environment and then subsequently uh, kind of the chronic disease epidemic. And so we are driving inflammation of the planet. We are driving inflammation of our bodies. And it's because we are so out of alignment with the natural way, the natural order. So, you know, we're not going to like abandon our technology. That's not just not going to happen. But I guess my hope that I will not live to see the day my hope is our species eventually finds a way where we live in harmony with nature, with technology. And right mm -hmm. here, right now, in today's time, we are not doing a good job at that at mm -hmm. all. We are very much living against nature and it's, it's taking the tolls. So, yeah. you know, we, so your next book should be you know, the existential uh, inflammation, inflammation spectrum. spectrum. I yeah. like that. I think That's we have good. material here for you. Yeah. Book. <laughs> I, you know, people like, what, why is a functional medicine practitioner talking about this? It's hard not to. When you see that someone's health and your mind starts expanding to the links that's going on here. It is so much more than a high C-reactive protein. <laughs> it's so much more than that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to your point, like of the malignancy or parasitic of the planet, if you think about it, if you go on a, like a global level, if you look at like a telescope's view of the planet and uh, if you s looked at the huge cities with all the smog coming out of it and if you saw that on a human body, you're like, that's a tumor. Yeah. That is a malignancy that needs to be healed. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's how we're doing. We're literally just uh, infesting the world with with this consumption. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like cancer is consuming. That's how we're treating the earth. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's where the immune system of the planet that is Mother Nature is, you know, doing what it's yeah. doing. And I was talking to somebody about this a while back. And it is kind of one of those, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we talk about kind of killing the planet so much. The reality, though, is the planet will survive longer than us. You know, the, the yeah. rock that is the planet, its kind of own organism on a universal level it will outlive us. I mean, it might change. We might kill all the rainforest and all the animals and whatever, but the planet itself is going to continue and survive. The question yeah. is, are we going to survive yeah, right. on this planet? Yeah, that's you know? the question. Yeah. Because I mean, just like when you have horrible like volcanoes or, you know, forests or some acts of nature that will happen, life comes out from it. So totally. yeah, if, if we're part of that destruction, uh, there's, I don't have any doubt that the earth will regenerate, uh, yeah. but will we be here for it or not? Exactly. Well, I, you know, I feel like that's kind of the ultimate, like, wow, we just, we, we went from nutrition driving inflammation to <laughs> existential inflammation, but, um, man, what an amazing conversation this has been. I cannot wait to read your book and, uh, I definitely, I'm looking forward to our paths cross in person so we can have like a bro lunch and just yes. you know, vibe out further. So yeah. um, are you going to be traveling much the rest of the year? Uh, this year, what do I have? Well, the book launch. So I'm, I'll be in New York, LA, 
uh, Miami. Uh, we'll be in different places for the Inflammation Spectrum launch, uh, speaking at different events. Uh, I have I, I co-host a podcast called Goop Fellas uh, with Goop, uh, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's wellness brand. So Seamus Mullen and I host Goop Fellas. Uh, so I'll be traveling f- for a few different interviews for that show. Uh, and nothing until next year uh, other than, than that stuff, which will be a lot. But next year I'll be at IHS and yeah, some, some cool stuff coming up. Absolutely. Well, I definitely know I'll be at IHS. So hopefully I run into you sooner, yeah. but if not, I'll be sure to pass through you at IHS and we can, <laughs> uh, grab some lunch, hang out a little bit, yeah. but, um, definitely, you know, I'll, I'll be, uh, telling everybody to check out your book because I think what a powerful tool and it, it is exactly teaching people how not to need, uh, you know, medicine in a way and how to take ownership of their health. So I'm really proud and, and uh, impressed by the work you're doing and very honored that you joined me on this, this podcast today. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk soon, my friend. Yeah. Talk soon. All right. See ya.